Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Today we head south. Very really far, far south. south. <laughs> We're going to cross the equator. We're heading south, but we are going to Uruguay today. Pastor James Sharp, serving the Lord in Uruguay, joining us in studio. Pastor Sharp, welcome. It's great to be here. Did I get my geography right? Yeah, you did. We're below the equator. Pretty. <laughs> Pretty far south, man. Pretty far south. So the climate is probably similar to here then because you're that far away from the equator, right? Yeah, it's about, I always compare it to like North Carolina Uh because it's near the ocean. So you have kind of the ocean dominating things too. But yeah, it's a lot like temperate. Well, thanks for coming to studio today. I know you're in St. Louis for some other meetings and uh, we like finagled a little bit of time in studio so we could get an update because it's been a while since we've chatted. I think yes. Christmas was the last time Christmas we chatted. Time, so yeah. what, what brings you to St. Louis? I am here for the first in a series of church relations meetings with the Lutheran Church of Bolivia. I'm kind of the Synod's Bolivia expert, which <laughs> is not as cool as it sounds probably or not as fancy as it sounds. but Prestigious. I, uh, prestigious. That's the word I was looking for. It is actually pretty cool. But yeah, so I'm here accompanying the president of the Lutheran Church of Bolivia, who is in the first round of talks about possibility of having all-term public fellowship with the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. What actually goes into those kind of discussions? I don't know if you're an expert on this, but like, what 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 has that process been like, at least for Lutheran Church of Bolivia? I think it depends on the church body that we're working with. Sure. The Lutheran Church of Bolivia was not planted by the LCMS. It was ah. the work of the Norwegian Mission Society. And they don't have any formal ecclesiastical relations. It's just an independent church. And I believe about 10 years ago, they started reaching out. And first through the International Lutheran Council's meetings in Latin America, they became an associate member, I I think it might be called like an observing member or something like that. And they recently became a full member of the ILC, which is an organization of confessional Lutheran churches all around the world. And through that, they kind of approached us to look at altering public fellowship. So it, it depends when it's a church that's a daughter of the Missouri Synod. It's a little simpler because mm-hmm. often they just pretty much copy and paste our constitution, bylaws, and stuff like that. But uh, this, because they come from a different Lutheran background, there might be some things that we're not 100% sure about. And so it's a process of telling us their story and going over their confessional documents and their constitution and bylaws and stuff like that. So in this round, Pastor Limbert Fernandez, who is the president of the ESEL, it's called the Christian Evangelical Lutheran Church, gave some documents to our church relations people. Dr. Jonathan Shaw is the director of church relations and the president's office was the, the leader of that and had some meetings with other parts, other folks around here, introducing him to the director of international mission and the chief mission officer and folks like that. So there was a lot, it was in a lot of ways just kind of getting to know each other because we don't have a long history together like we would in some of our other sister churches. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, your work is in Uruguay primarily. Yes, so primarily what is that Uruguay. relationship 
uh, with the work that you're doing and the church in Bolivia. Is there a relationship there? Not necessarily. I'm the area facilitator for parts of South America. Mm. Yep. And I think my boss probably just looked on a map and said, Sharp is closest <laughs> to Bolivia, so... Makes you the expert. And that makes me the expert, yeah. So <laughs> so I've been to Bolivia a few times. Uh, I've been to their church assembly and uh, some other activities there. So I do know Bolivia and the Bolivian church fairly well. So it was, it was good to be able to serve in that way. Mm-hmm. What's it like getting to know? I mean, you, you've been spending the last few years learning to, to get to know new cultures, new people, mm-hmm. and new Lutheran churches. What's that like to, to be in that role to, to always be learning? Well, I enjoy it. I mean, I'm a big nerd, you know, mm-hmm. so my pastime when I have time or to kill time, I, I do a lot of just Wikipedia surfing, yes. you know, just r- rando <laughs> articles on Wikipedia. And so I enjoy learning new things I always have. And I, I've always liked geography and cultures and languages and stuff like that. And one, one of the highlights that, that I had last time I was in Bolivia, I was at their church assembly and during the worship services, they were singing in Quechua, the, the Inca language that, that is still spoken by probably about 30, 40% of the folks in, in Bolivia. And so that was really cool. And it's really awesome because Quechua just adopted the Spanish alphabet. And so it's pronounced more or less like Spanish. Huh. So it's a language that if you already know Spanish, you have no idea what you're saying, <laughs> but it's fairly easy to pronounce. So I could sing along with them. I absolutely had no idea what I was saying. I'm assuming it was like, you know, Jesus loves me kind of stuff, but I'm I'm just trusting them for the content, I suppose. But it was really fun to be able to sing hymns, sing praise songs and stuff like that to to Jesus in this language that was the language of the Incas that's, you know, thousands of years old. I really get a kick out of that. Wow. So cool. Yeah. So last time we caught up, uh, you and your family spent some time with us talking about Christmas in Uruguay in a very secular culture right. and gave us some insights into that. Um, what have you been up to since then? We're working. Uh, Angie's probably teaching her ninth grade English class right now in Uruguay. She teaches in our San Pablo school. We have the Lutheran school there. Uh, so the girls are busy in class there. And, you know, school started in the beginning of March, December, January, February is our summer vacation. And so school started again in March and the girls and, and Angie are busy, especially with the, the school and we're working on reopening our downtown mission in Montevideo. We closed the mission at the beginning of the pandemic because it just, well, we didn't know how long it was going to work. There was a lot of ins and outs and what have you with that. And it, w- it was a space that we had outgrown anyway, so we needed to move, and, and that kind of was the catalyst for that. So then the last really year or so, we've been trying to find a place that will work for us going forward, and thanks be to God, we've finally found that and and we're in the final negotiation. I hope the landlords aren't listening to this, uh, that we really, really want that space because you have to kind of play like you're not that interested, you know, play hard to get sort of thing. So, uh, but we're we're hoping to have the final negotiations for that when I get back and and be able to start moving into that. And it's going to be a space that allows us to have a worship space that has classrooms where we're going to have English classes and theology classes and Things like that, both as a matter for outreach and also to train new leaders and train lay people. And it's a really nice space right downtown Montevideo. And so I'm pretty excited about it. That's, that's going to be the big thing when, we get, when I get back. How has the mission been growing? I know we talked about that a little bit, but and we've been catching up with you for so long now that 
that we've gotten all of these updates. What what are some of the new things that are happening for you guys? Well, we got the the Jasephs, uh, Pastor Phil and, and Rachel, Deaconess Rachel Jasef, last in the middle of last year, and so they've really been able to to come into the team quickly. They, they really did a great job. Rachel had already served in Latin America. Phil had been a geo missionary in Africa, so they both had experience, and, and Phil really picked up the language very quickly, which was good, and so they've both really hit the ground running, and Phil will be working in a mission that I had been working in. We kind of, kind of had all been working in the east of Montevideo. It's a really growing suburban area. And Rachel has gotten started on a deaconess program for, for Uruguay as well through the seminary that, that the Senate operates in the Dominican Republic. They have an extension program for deaconess training. So we're pretty excited about that. So a lot of things are happening. We've dedicated a new a center up north in the mission where we have an alliance missionary from Brazil serving. So compared to when we got there, there's just so much more going on than than there was before. And it's neat to have been a part of that. I mean, we're not, I'm not responsible for all of it, but I, I am responsible for part of it. And it's pretty cool to be part of it. Is that encouraging to see those partnerships continuing to grow and to, to see the team growing as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, Starting from, we weren't starting from zero. We, we had a, a really big school and, and a very long-standing congregation there that, that wanted to grow and wanted to reach out and wanted to start new missions. And so we had a nice base to start with. But that that was it, really. There was the, the church downtown and the school and the the little mission that they had up in the north. And to see, you know, another mission up north and a building get built and a new mission started on, on the east side of town. And we're already talking about a couple other places where we'll be able to reach out. And we're also start thinking about maybe having like an international service or something like that, having an English service in, in downtown Montevideo now that we're having tourists and stuff again. So, you know, it's it's, it's very encouraging to to see that there have been fruits of your work you know we don't always get that blessing and and so it's it's really neat to to be able to see that you mentioned tourists tell me about the the tourism industry what's mm. the is there a draw there are there particular sites in Montevideo or I, I always say that Uruguay is a neat place to stop by in between more interesting places <laughs> and that's that's kind of what a lot of the tourists are we get a lot of folks that are on cruises. Hmm. So the crew, they, you know, they fly to, to Rio and get on the boat and the boat stops in a few different places. And then a lot of times goes through the Straits of Magellan and then they fly back from Chile. That's, hmm. that's a pretty popular cruise route. We've actually had several American Lutherans uh, who have stopped by and contacted us. We, we, I had one couple that was from Alexandria, Minnesota, I think, if I remember correctly. And they just reached out and they happened to be there on a Sunday and I went down and grabbed them and brought them to church, and it was really neat to be able to to do that. But the the big draw is just uh, I remember when the first time I went to Argent I went to Argentina in 1995 when I graduated from college, and and I took the boat over to Uruguay just because I kind of thought it was funny, like oh there's this little weird country that nobody's heard of and nobody can really pronounce the name, and when will I ever go back to Uruguay? <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, you know, now I've lived there for eight years, but uh, you know, there, it's it, Montevideo is a neat town. You know, there's a little old, old city that's still kind of got the little colonial grid thing going, and and uh, you know, statues. They love statues. There's some really awesome statues if you're into that in Montevideo, and and in Punta del Este, which is about two and a half hours to the east, it's where it start to have beaches, and we get a lot of tourism from 
South America, a lot of Brazilians and Argentines historically have, have gone to Punta del Este. So, and then and a lot of them are, are Lutherans. So, <laughs> you know, we're hoping to, to catch some of them. And now the European tourism is, is picking up again. So people just, you know, it's kind of an out of the way place. A lot of people have heard of it now. And uh, it's a, a neat place to stop by. It's actually a really nice base if somebody's going to spend like a month or two exploring South America because the airport there is is small and really easily manageable and customs and immigration is, is pretty nice. And so, you know, you can kind of, there are people that will maybe get an Airbnb or something like that and stay for six weeks and then, you know, fly to Peru for a few days and fly to Chile for a few days or fly up to Rio for a couple of days, but keep Montevideo as their base. And we're starting to see that happen a lot more too. So it was really cool. We actually, at Christmas time, we had a couple, a couple of Finnish Lutherans were in Uruguay for... I don't know, probably a couple months, and that they they used Montevideo kind of as a base to explore other parts of of South America. And it's really cool. It means a lot to people in these mission churches to have Lutherans from overseas there. It, it really, you know, when you're in a small church and you're a minority of a minority of a minority, to have folks from outside come and seek you out because they share the same confession of faith is really cool. So, sorry, that was kind of a rando. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia surfing sort of answer, but uh, but I think that was an excellent insight into mm-hmm. uh, missionary life and Lutherans around the globe too. I think yeah. that was a, a really helpful insight. We're gonna we're gonna learn more about life in Uruguay with the Reverend James Sharp in just a moment. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with the Reverend James Sharp, serving the Lord in Uruguay. And I've been learning about some of the experiences you've had, uh, visitors who, mm-hmm. who've made Montevideo part of their, their trips when traveling around South America. Last time we talked in December, we learned about Christmas in the very secular culture of Uruguay. Most recently, Lent, Holy Week, and mm-hmm. Easter. Right. What were some of the observations? How did you observe Lent, Holy Week, and Easter at your church? And then where does that fit in the culture in Uruguay? So it's really weird because Uruguay was primarily settled by Spanish and Italian immigration, especially a lot of people from Galicia in Spain. And, and so... They have those sort of ethnic traditions, and a lot of those involve eating fish during Lent and things like that, or vegetarian or or fish-based dishes. And they're completely not religious anymore, but they still practice these, these kind of fasting and things like that, and they don't even realize it. It's just a tradition to eat cod on Good Friday or something like that. And it's weird because it's kind of the opposite of what I grew up with, with a lot of folks who were maybe even practicing Roman Catholics, for example, who didn't observe the fasting, but 
still went to church. And these are people that don't go to church but still observe the fasting, which is really strange <laughs> and kind of backwards. And in Uruguay, I, I think I said the same thing for Christmas. Christmas is officially a, a holiday, and it's called Family Day. And there's no buses and, and things like that. It's a completely – it's a, a, a day that's actually – essentially illegal to make people work with certain exceptions. And that kind of, in a lot of ways, ruins the, you know, the Christmas celebration. We can't have service Christmas Day with all the people because they just can't get there because they, they need the buses and stuff like that. And they did the same thing with Holy Week and Easter. Holy Week is called Vacation Week in Uruguay and and vacation week every year just happens to be holy week isn't that great <laughs> and so a lot of times our lowest attended services are palm sunday and easter and and then back in christmas and so you know you have the the christer thing in in the mm-hmm. united states where where you for a lot of years I, I think that's changing now but you had people that pretty much only went to church on christmas and easter and we have the ex- pretty much the opposite phenomenon, which is people who are pretty fairly regular, steady churchgoers who don't go to church on Christmas Day and Easter because of the the way that the government has made it really difficult. And so because that's vacation week, so many businesses, the, the government offices and things like that basically make their employees take that week as a vacation. So they don't have much choice if they're going to take a family vacation. It's going to be that week. And and one of the reasons why we want to start planning more churches around Uruguay is so that mm-hmm. they have a place to go when they're on vacation. But it, it's it's strange. You know, in, in Paisandu, in the northern part of Uruguay, where we have a mission nearby, it's it's not called vacation week. It's called beer week. <laughs> and in our na- neighborhood in, in the Prado where we are, they have kind of like a, a fairgrounds, a county fairgrounds, and they have, they call it Creole Week, and so it's it's kind of like a county fair with horses and demonstration of horsemanship and cows, and, you know, Angie was right at home back from her 4-H days there, you know, going around and seeing all the, the sheep and the goats and the ducks and whatnot, but it's it's anything but Holy Week, you know, and one of the things that I've tried to do intentionally is to call it Holy Week. When we're talking about that week, we call it Holy Week, you know, in, especially in the church, but even outside the church. You know, there's a reason why the government picked this week for that, and it's because it's Holy Week, and it's Holy Week because it's the, the week we remember the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. So, it, it, you know, for our family, we try to make the same Lenten rhythms that we did in the United States, but you know the kids are excited because they're off school and stuff like that. It's it's hard to uh, it's hard to maintain it when the whole culture is kind of fighting against it. But we do what we can. Yeah, that is just so interesting. And I mean, you've told these stories before, but every time it just it it boggles my mind a little bit how how different that culture is than what we're used to here. Like when we get to Easter here, even if you're not going to church, like, you know, it's Easter. Everybody talks about Easter. Businesses are closed because it's Easter weekend. It's just a very different thing for for the people in that culture. What do you do for your church? It, I know low attendance, but what do you do for like Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday? What kind of traditions do you have for the people that are able to come? One of the awesome things is being in a country with actual palms. Yeah. <laughs> Last year... 
we went a little crazy with the palms to the point where the people in the pews couldn't actually see the chancel very well. Oops. Uh, but you know, if you're going to go, go all out, I guess. But the uh, So that's fun. You know, we do procession with the kids and stuff like that. And, and it has, I will say, I, I got to say to their credit, a lot of folks have taken it to heart that, you know, this is the week I need to be in church. And so... Uh, we we it wasn't a terrible attendance. It, it was it was I would say average, not not what you might expect. But uh, you know, and then a lot of times they were we would just have one service during Holy Week that kind of is more like a passion service where we kind of do the whole passion thing, and then uh, then Easter we usually have a breakfast or something like that, and you know, kind of traditional things that people do all over the world. But uh, and, and Easter. Easter does pick up a little bit because it, it and once again it's the opposite of here because you know I, I a lot of times like you said places are closed on Easter places that are usually open all the time are, are still closed on Easter here and in Uruguay it's different because Easter Sunday is the day when people are coming back from vacation week right mm-hmm. so it's it's in a lot of ways just a normal Sunday. Everything that's normally closed is closed. Everything that's normally open is open because people are coming back from the beach or mm-hmm. from up north in the, the hot springs that they go to. Or hmm. A lot of people like to travel abroad during during Holy Week. So it, 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 there's so much besides the seasons, which are also the opposite. It, it's weird how so many things are just pretty much the opposite. of That was what I was just States. thinking about. Like Lent literally means spring, but it's autumn it's for you. Spring. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's school just started. At the beginning of March, whereas here, you know, by by the time you get to Easter break, it's like, all right, we just got a few weeks left to finish school, and it's spring, and it's been cold all winter, and now, you know, the temperature is turning nice, and usually, depending on the date of Easter, vacation week is kind of like, uh, almost like uh, Labor Day weekend, sort yeah, of, it's like the break. last yeah. the yeah. last burst of, of summer sort of thing, huh. uh, but, you know, it's, it was already starting to get cold before I left, and and I guess it's really cold now, so I'm really looking forward to going back. So you don't have like Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, or any of those traditions either, then necessarily. A little bit, a little oh. bit. They've picked up some of that. It's funny because the same with Christmas, where they've they've picked up like icicles and snowflakes and stuff like that. It's like it, it's, it's just, summer. Yeah, American capitalism is just pert near undefeated. The way that we just spread this garbage all around the world, you know. I mean, we're really good at it. So. You know, they they historically didn't have Santa Claus, but they do now. They historically didn't really have the Easter Bunny, which is more of a Germanic thing, and they do now. And a, it's a big thing to have these chocolate eggs. Uh, they're ridiculously expensive. They have these beautiful decorated chocolate eggs that are for sale all leading up to Easter. And then it's just like Easter candy or Halloween candy here. You know, you go the week after Easter, and all of a sudden they're super cheap, and you can get these big fancy decorated but they have like oreo chocolate eggs and they have filled with dulce de leche and all (laughs) kinds of other stuff but they do do that a little bit but mostly it's just not easter they don't even they don't even think about it and they'll say happy easter uh, but they're not thinking easter as resurrection of christ in, in any way we have just a couple of minutes left there are updates on what's happening in the lord's work in uruguay Really excited about how the school is is growing and, and continuing to build its ministry. It's a really big school. We got about twelve hundred kids, nine hundred kids, something like that. Angie, my wife, is 
teaching in the school. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at, at my outlook that she is in English. Yes, she's in ninth grade English class right now as we speak. And her ministry in the school has been really well received. Everybody loves her. She's doing a great job. She's a great teacher. She's a fantastic teacher. And so the school administration and our headmasters, Pastor Mara Roll, one of my colleagues, are really hoping to get more American synodically trained teachers to to work down there. So it's one of the other things I'm doing while I'm in the United States is mm. begging teachers to come teach math and science and stuff in English in Uruguay at our our school down there because I really have a really cool dynamic ministry growing there and need more people to, to be part of that. How can they learn more about the Lord's work in Uruguay? MS.org slash sharp. You get a connection with us. We were in, in Lutherans Engage the World, I think, in the winter issue. They yes. had a pretty good article about us and can find all kinds of things at international.lcms.org. Very good. Our guest today, the Reverend James Sharp, serving the Lord in Uruguay. Thank you so much for being our guest on The Coffee Hour. I always have a good time. (laughs) You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.